My safe word will be whiskey. Sorry, Rod, what was that? Whiskey. This is uh, Steve from uh, Pork Whiskey Society. This is the Lost in Translation podcast. And uh, today I have obviously my co-host with me, Sean Kincaid. <laughs> and we have a very uh, we have a very cool guest today. His name is Barry Chandler. Uh, he's he grew up in Ireland. He's worked in the food and beverage industry as far as we can see when we do our research on him. Uh, he's founder of the of Story and Sips. Which is, a, which is a really unique kind of social experience that he brings across all the different platforms. Um, he, he displays his, his true passion for, Irish, for the Irish whiskey genre and works really hard to kind of bring the spirit to the whiskey drinkers of America. Because we all know that if it's not for, not for guys like Barry, that, uh, that everybody will kind of stay in their shell. So we need to make sure that we we broadcast uh, all the different genres because whiskey has far more to offer than, than than just just American, just Scotch, just Irish, just Canadian. So we're we're pretty happy to have him as a guest, and we're we're excited to talk about Irish whiskey. Barry, how are you doing today? I'm great, thanks, Steve, and thanks, John, for having me. I'm excited to talk about Irish whiskey, sing it from the rooftops, and convert and convince everybody that they need to pour their scotch and bourbon and canadian whiskey down the drain just so they can drink irish whiskey that's what we're <laughs> going to do today right <laughs> yes yeah exactly i don't i don't know about down the drain but we'll uh we'll, we'll put it aside at least for now or right? throw it or something <laughs> or yeah. throw, yeah, throw it against a wall or something yeah uh so the, the idea of this podcast barry is we wanted to talk to the passion behind the people in this industry uh when we like we like we said we just had an interview with louise from jj Corey. And we, we talked with her more about her passion for whiskey and her brand than the actual brand itself, because we find that the, the, informa- the basic information on brands is, is out there for anybody to have if, if they just fire up the Google machine. So it was very, very exciting to, to think about having you on this podcast, because we know that there's a ton of passion behind Irish whiskey in you. And so that, that's kind of what we want to get into. If you want to start off by kind of Talking about yourself, uh, tell us where your journey started, uh, where whiskey kind of came to be, in, uh, and where, yeah, just, just where it all began. Sure. Um, well, I'm from Ireland, I, as the accent will, will betray me, even if I try and hide it. Uh, and I'm, uh, I've been living in the United States for 14 years now. I've, um, my, my journey with whiskey is a relatively new one. It's, um, it's only in the past four years that I've really started to get into whiskey from what started as a hobby and, and an interest and a, a kind of a fundraising tool, which I'll, I'll talk about, but it, 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 it's a relatively new journey for me. And it's one that I've, I've gone down. I, I think it, maybe like you both have down the rabbit holes of the people and the places and the passion behind whiskey as well. So um, yeah, I, I first, I first start, well, stories in itself began four years ago when I hosted a, a fundraiser event to raise money for cancer research. I was living in Ohio at the time and I'd been part of this event, annual event called Pelotonia. And Pelotonia is this 180 mile bike ride where every year thousands of people participate, raise money to try and uh, basically try and end cancer in and, and through the uh, the James Cancer Research Hospital in Columbus, Ohio. And so I was part of this bike ride for, for a few years 
And then by year six or seven, there were now 8,000 people participating in this bike ride and raising money in the same city became difficult. Everybody was asking people for money to participate. And somebody had the idea that I should host a whiskey tasting. And I said, well, I know nothing about whiskey. Why should I do that? And they said, well, you sound like you're from Ireland. I said, good enough. Let's do that then. So (laughs) I went to the store, found some whiskey that I liked the look of the labels of, knew nothing about them, uh, went home, Googled them, uh, wrote down some uh, some notes furiously on a piece of paper and then uh, invited people to pay $50 a head, of which all $50 would go to cancer research, and they would try five or six different whiskeys on the night. And so I did. I hosted this night and uh, I winged it. I, uh, I told the stories that I had researched and Googled that day, and people were fascinated, and I was fascinated, and I wanted to know more, and people wanted to know more about the whiskeys and what the difference between them was, because, of course, I couldn't answer all those questions on the night. I just didn't know. I had no knowledge on it. So I went home, Googled, researched, started finding out more, started falling more in love with it and realizing that some of the greatest whiskeys in the world had come from 12 miles from where I grew up in Ireland. Uh, and I thought, OK, we're on to something here. Let's let's look into this a bit more. So I studied more. I researched more listened and learned and started hosting more of these whiskey tastings as fundraiser events. And that was 2016. And uh, I think from there, it just grew. As I learned more, I host more events, more people would come, they'd tell somebody else, somebody else would say, I want you to come and do one for my company. We want to raise money for this, that, or the other thing. And so that's how Stories and Sips was born was as a in-person fundraising event. As I was getting asked more and more questions about Irish whiskey, I went and researched and found the answers and then started recording videos to send to my guests as answers to their questions. So I'd record a a little video answering a question. And then before I knew it, I had 20 or 30 of these videos that I was sending around to people. And I thought, you know what, maybe other people would be interested in this. And so I created a YouTube channel where I would talk about Irish whiskey and the stories behind Irish whiskey. And I launched that in 2017, 2018, I think, uh, a YouTube channel. Uh, where I would host like a weekly video of the stories behind Irish whiskey. And from there it evolved, it just grew into a podcast, um, a YouTube channel, eventually a, a live stream and a series of in-person events around the United States and now a lot of virtual events uh, with hundreds and sometimes thousands of people participating in, in virtual Irish whiskey tastings around America. But it all started with a very small idea to, to raise some money for cancer research. That's very cool. And it, the fact that you kind of started off as a almost on the like philanthropist side of things uh is yeah it is a very special way to get into it we've we've got some we've got a local club a guy that runs a local club here that that uh runs a drams for fams initiative and it's same same kind of thing it's it's really pushed him to open the you know open more whiskey doors because he's just saw seen the opportunity to both grow a passion and 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 give back to to communities and stuff which is if 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 you can if you can kind of cross both paths then you're doing a lot of things right in my eyes yeah well i found that if asking people for $50 for a fundraiser was was one thing but asking people for for $50 for whiskey seemed to be a much easier proposition and uh ended up raising a lot more money when you wave a, a little bit of brown water under people's nose <laughs> yeah when you can yeah you can give them a little bit of whiskey and then they know that their money is going to go to a good place and they can have a little bit of fun too. Hey, that's, that, that's my kind of party right there. I'm curious to see or to hear actually what, uh, what distillery shined through first when you got into whiskey? What, like, where was your first love when it came to uh, 
do your daily pours and that kind of thing? Well, well I grew up, I, I grew up near, near Middleton in County Cork, which is the largest Irish whiskey distillery, the distillery that produces Jameson, Powers, Redbreast. Um, I noticed behind you, there's a Writer's Tears box on your shelf there. Some of the components of Writer's Tears mm-hmm. come from Middleton Distillery. Um, it is the largest distillery by, I mean, a factory, a factor of 10 in Ireland, but it's also got a, a romantic and fascinating history. And so I first fell in love with the stories of Middleton. And then I, I recalled once I started diving into to, to Middleton and, and what it produced, I realized that I had spent some of my teenage years uh, on tours there with my dad around the old Middleton distillery. He had taken me on tours and I'd completely forgotten about that. Um, so that was the first, yeah, it was more, there was a pride, you know, I, I come from Cork and the fact that Cork was producing these world-class whiskies and had at one point been at the epicenter of the great, you know, the most produced whiskies in the world, I thought was just really exciting and fascinating. So I started with Middleton and, you know, at the time that I was, even just four years ago when I was getting into whiskey, there was only, there was barely a dozen distilleries in Ireland uh, and only four or five of them had their own whiskies in the market. Today, now we have 38 distilleries and there's more than a dozen of them have their own whiskies in the market, but it all started with Middleton and it's the elephant in the room. It's hard to avoid it. And I don't know that you'd want to avoid it. It's just, uh, it's the benchmark for all. Yeah, for sure. Funny you say that. Um, I work up in the oil field in Northern Alberta and one of the electricians on my crew grew up same thing just down the road from Middleton and his dad actually was an electrician in Middleton for 40 years and Barry Crockett was one of his best friends so any chance I get to I talk to my buddy at work and he actually started his electrical apprenticeship at the Middleton distillery before he came over to Canada so uh, we we talk yeah we talk Middleton whiskeys day in day out at work to the point where other our other co-workers kind of roll their eyes and shake their head at us but we love it well and that's a problem here honestly is there yes there's there's kind of a small collection of of people in the community that that drink irish that drink a lot of irish whiskey but there's not there's not a lot of methods to to kind of tap into tap into irish whiskey and and the passion behind it like 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 we mentioned before the the podcast started here is is Sean Sean really wants to use this platform to kind of bring Irish whiskey to to Western Canada especially and and beyond of course, but it's it, there's just for me when it when I, as a whiskey drinker I don't I don't typically close my door to anything I'm always willing to try everything because I just know that there's talent and and passion behind everything that's created so why uh why why would I deny myself that. Next, I kind of want to get into what inspired you to start Stories and Sips. Where did you see the true opportunity for it? You, like, I know you kind of got into the tasting and then like, did you, did you look at kind of the social idea of it and just say, I really need to, I really need to get online and like, cause, and how, like, how did you make all, did you kind of just make all these connections over time or did you have some of these, maybe generate some of these connections prior to, cause you've got a, a wealth of interviews with some 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 impressive people and and casts in the in the whiskey community in Ireland. Stephen, I'd love to sit. They, I'd love to come in here now and say that there was a great master plan that I sat down and I planned it and I projected how many interviews I was going to have over a year and how I was going to get in touch with all those people. But I'd be lying through my teeth if I told you that because there was no plan. It just started out with a very simple idea to to raise a bit of money, and I created a little Instagram account to go with my fundraising 
probably the same week that I started my first fundraiser and I would put in hashtags of various whiskies. And funnily enough, not six or seven weeks after I started my whiskey tasting, the Ohio Jameson team spotted the hashtags that I was using. And um, they were wondering who was this guy out there talking in Ohio about the product they were supposed to be pushing and um, should we, should we kill him or help him? Uh, I think was (laughs) the, uh, was probably what went through their mind. Uh, but I had a meeting with the Jameson team in Ohio and we realized that we were probably all on the same page. We're just trying to push Irish whiskey and and, and uh, I was trying to fundraise and it turned out that they were trying to uh, do pretty much the same thing. They were looking to get more involved in philanthropy. They wanted to push uh, whiskey and especially the higher end uh, whiskeys from the Middleton Distillery. And uh, so we just had a conversation and they started supporting my fundraisers. They would help contribute all of the whiskeys to my fundraisers, which meant that I didn't have to buy all the whiskeys. And so we just started a little relationship like that. And that over a period of the last four years, we've grown our relationship um, in, in the Ohio region. I still work with the with the, the Middleton and Jameson team in Ohio today, hosting events for them. But slowly but surely, as I would host these events, I would put, put pictures online. And then as my videos started to gain more traction, I would they would be shared around in Ireland. I created a Twitter account. There's a huge Irish whiskey Twitter community that started to, 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 to engage with the videos. And it was just, my, my goal was never, from day one, it wasn't how do I grow this into a business? It was literally from day one, how do we just raise more money? How do we get Irish whiskey in front of more people? And how do we have more fun? And so from, from, from with everything I did, it was always about how do I find ways to give, give, give? I didn't want to, ask anybody for anything apart from donations to fundraisers. I wasn't looking for sponsorship. I wasn't looking for anything. It was rather, how do I appear to the Irish whiskey community that I'm nothing but a net contributor? And that was really how it led to eventually years down the line, like two, three years later, me being able to pick up the phone to the likes of Louise or 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 any of the amazing people we've had on our podcast and that you've seen as well, to be able to say, hey, I'd like to talk to you because I think you're doing something interesting and I now have an audience and I think they find what you're doing interesting. So it was just bit by bit. And, you know, every week it changes, it grows, it evolves. Um, Social media has been a huge part of it. In-person events were everything that I was doing up to nine months ago. Now I haven't done an in-person event in nine months. I don't know if I'll do an in-person event again. I don't know. Um, But so right now it's all virtual and it's, um, yeah, bit by bit, we're just figuring out how do we get more ways to talk about whiskey, engage people, and host events. Because right now you're doing the well, you're doing the podcast, and you're also doing the the lock in live streams as well, right? Those are kind of two separate. That's right. Yeah, and so those lock in live streams are just you're doing them every Friday night, kind of just hooking up with a new guest each time, and you're just you're basically just choosing a few products and and talking about those specifically, and then obviously just getting into to drinking whiskey, drinking Irish whiskey with this with all these different people, which is which is kind of exactly where where we come from because you're you're touching kind of all these different personalities around the genre of, of Irish whiskey, and it's it's like there's there's so many stories and so many interesting things to kind of unfold and unpack when you start talking to the drinkers itself and, and when you bring out the drinker in all these people. So it's, it's super exciting. I definitely recommend everybody to check out your webpage because I've been pretty much living on it the last week <laughs> listening to all these. Well, I appreciate that. All these you lives. Know, the, 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 lock-in, the lock-in is a special thing and, and not because I created it, but because 
the, the lock-in is a piece of Irish culture. It is a thing that happens in Ireland, which is literally a rare experience that you may have if you're lucky, if you're local, occasionally if you're a visitor, where rather than the door opening in the pub at the end of the night and the bar owner or manager telling you to leave, he instead goes to the door at the end of the night and bolts it closed with you inside. And you're now officially locked into the pub. And that is a unique part of Irish storytelling and culture where anything can happen. Once that door is locked, no money will change hands. Music could break out. It is a session. It's a. It's going to be a long night, and you're delighted to be there. And when I when when the pubs closed in March in Ireland, and when the world started to shut down, I wanted to recreate the lock-in. I wanted to recreate the feeling of community, that sense of coming together. It is in no way a academic whiskey conversation. Mm-hmm. First of all, I'm not qualified to talk academically about whiskey, but it is. <laughs> It is the virtual replica of if I was locked into a pub with you and we're sitting at the table together, what would we want to talk about? It wouldn't be about the price of whiskey. It would be about our lives, our stories, what's going on in the world. We might bring the whiskey into it and talk about it, but music might break out. It would be a session. And so that's what the lock-in has been about. Every week we're bringing interesting people to the table who can tell stories, who can talk. Yes, maybe we'll bring on distillers but not if they're going to talk about the temperature of distillation, because I don't care about it. I'd rather have somebody who had an amazing story to tell about something that broke or some, somehow they failed or they succeeded. In any case, it's a human. The lock-in is a human show. It's about humanity. It's about bringing us together. So I think of all the things I've done, the lock-in is the thing I'm most proud of, because I know it's filling a gap for people who miss that community and miss being in the pub. So until we're there again, we're just going to keep doing it virtually. It's one of my favorite new listens, honestly. Like I, Sean brought it to my attention a couple of weeks ago, or a few weeks ago, when he when he said that uh, that you'd be a po- the possibility of you being a guest. And like I said, I've been going back to it and back to it because I just love the love the human element that you bring out of it. It's it's fun and it's it's light and and like you said, I, like talking about the temperature distillation is that you can you can look that up. Um, anywhere you want you don't need us to be talking about that so let's talk about the fun side of whiskey yeah there's a time and a place to get into the specifics you know there's websites devoted to it um yeah that's one thing when i first like obviously i started back following the stories and sips youtube channel and i was fascinated you know it was right at the beginning of my irish whiskey journey so every time a new episode would come up i would race to watch it and just hearing the stories behind some of the names, some of the brands, the, the distilleries, um, you know, I, I fell in love with that part of the Irish whiskey history. And then, yeah, when the lot when the lock-in started, I, you know, I said, first one I saw came up and it was, you know, two and a half hours long. And I was like, well, you know, maybe I'll watch part of it. And then next thing I know, kids are crying and hungry and I'm <laughs> You're still watching in. it. It's <laughs> two hours later. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just found out last night actually that I'm in quarantine for 14 days due to uh, close contact at work. So I will have a lot of time to catch up on a few of the lock-ins that I've missed recently. <laughs> well, have we got hours of sessions for you to catch up on? Let me tell you. <laughs> you do. It's it's honestly endless on there. You can go like people get lost when they when they go onto YouTube. It's just like one to the next and the next and the next. And that's what happened with me on your on your website is I just got I got into one and then I was like, man, that was really cool. Let's go to the next one and then this one. And people that I've names and stuff that I've like some I've heard of, some I've I've never heard of. So 
listening to to their stories and their and their chat chatting and stuff like that it's been it's been a ton of fun a lot of fun awesome so going back to the stories and sips um obviously like each episode that you had on youtube when it started you just you know a brief story give the history and um we wanted to know like what was a story that you found that you talked about that kind of stood out to you what was one of your favorite whiskey moments or stories that you had on the, the stories and sips youtube you know there were so many um it started obviously i started on youtube and then um i was traveling a lot for work and, and putting youtube videos together in, in an environment where it looked like i was in a whiskey environment it was becoming more and more difficult and so i kind of transitioned onto a podcast eventually and and, and, and got a further reach but those early days of finding the stories and, and, and putting together on on youtube was was really fun and I love the research side of it, like diving deep into history and uh, the people and the places of whiskey to get a better sense of how we got here today in the world of Irish whiskey, the, the characters that got us here, the stories that 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 could be that could that I was finding that could be shared that would help people connect emotionally with whiskey were were fascinating. And you know, I, I remember two two particular stories that 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 were very popular and that I really enjoyed researching and putting together one was about the Kilbegan distillery in the center of Ireland one of the oldest distilleries they call themselves the oldest distillery in the world they'll fight Bushmills for that title uh, all day long <laughs> but they're um, they're the oldest continuously licensed distillery in Ireland and what I what I as I dug into the story of Kilbegan which is a small little town in Ireland a sm- almost a village well I found these amazing stories of it was a roller coaster over the years as Irish whiskey has been of growth and decline and growth and decline. And you found this little town with a distillery where the townspeople were so proud of it that when the distillery shut its doors because it could no longer sustain itself way back in the 1950s, the townspeople kept paying the license to the government every year so that their distillery would be continuously licensed. And there was such pride in the town that they had a distillery. So they wanted to be able to say that the town had a distillery, not that the town had a building. And so they kept paying this 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 uh, license fee, which I thought was an incredible, uh, tiny little gesture. But it's it's you know Hollywood movies about Ireland have been made on less than that, and I thought that that was a, a lovely little little story. And also there was fascinating history about how the Kilkenny Distillery had been involved in in a in a scandal that almost brought brought down the Irish government in the nineteen in the nineteen fifties as well. And it was just oh, wow. amazing that. I don't any of us are surprised at this stage that alcohol brings us, gives us stories, but it's still amazing when we uncover them and we realize the central role that Irish whiskey has played in the history of Ireland. And Irish whiskey history and Irish history are one and the same. They follow the same path, and you can see the connections between the two. So that Kilbegan story, I absolutely loved. Um, I love that story. And the other story that got a lot of attention and that introduced me to a lot of people was a story about the town of Dingle in West Kerry, Southwest Kerry, uh, a little piece of paradise uh, on the Southwest coast of Ireland. Uh, And the town of Dingle uh, is a remarkable place where it's right there in the ocean. The Atlantic ocean is battering the cliffs and the rocks and the rugged shore there. And a distillery opened there in 2012. uh, and and, And a man by the name of Oliver Hughes had this vision of creating what would have been Ireland's first independent distillery in, in probably a hundred years in, in the town. And it's a story about the perseverance and the foresight and 
the, uh, the, the we have a phrase in Ireland, the, the brass neck of that man to try to, to attempt something like that. You know, it was, it was such a, a big attempt and a big undertaking to, to launch a distillery in 2012 in Ireland when there's nobody else doing it. And so I told the story of Dingle and it turns out this, this video went viral in Dingle and everybody shared it with their family and with those overseas. And I got messages from people who owned pubs in Dingle. I got messages from the son's owner. I got, I got introduced to the wonderful team, the, 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 the lovely uh, uh, Mary Ferreter, God rest her soul, who passed away uh, last week and, and, and who I, I managed to, to build up lovely relationships with, with people in Dingle because of this one story. Uh, and so that's a very special one to me. And, and still today is one of the most viewed videos I have there. And, and, uh, and for good reason, uh, thanks to the town of Dingle. Yeah, I can I can totally 100% back um, what an amazing place it is. It was the one place in Ireland that my wife and I visited in 2018 that we both absolutely fell in love with and said right from that point, you know, if we ever won the lotto or anything, had the means to do it, that we would move and build a place just outside of Dingle because... Yeah, that, the whole peninsula stole my heart. And the whiskey was one of the first whiskeys that we were able to get here of the new stuff, obviously. Um, and I fell in love with it. And Steve can attest to that. Yeah, I got a, I got a close friend of mine. Is, uh, Brad is his name. His last name is actually Dingle. Like they trace their heritage back to the, to the area in Ireland. And uh, they, he, he's been actually, his family's been bringing in Dingle products for longer than then they've been available on the shelf here. So I had a chance to try batch one even because his, his father had it brought over and and then batch two, I think maybe a case hit Alberta and, and finally batch three and batch four have been a little more readily available. But it, I was amazed at the quality. I'd never heard of it at the time, but the quality of product was outstanding. Even, even when you talk about their clear spirits, their clear spirits are incredible as well. But the whiskey is the whiskey is something special. And the story behind it is very interesting. It's it's a great, it's a, it's an incredible Irish success story. It it just took amazing people with with passion and with interest and with care and empathy and just kind kind people. You're instantly at home in Dingle, and their spirit goes from strength to strength every year. I feel it's it's getting better and better. The most recent uh, single malt release uh, and and pot still release are, are the best that they've ever released. So I'm really excited about what's going to happen there over the next few years. So Dingle, yeah, a special place in my heart. And I mean, when when people think of the authentic Irish pub experience, you don't get it like anywhere else I found, like in the town of Dingle. You know, the hardware store with a pub in the back. <laughs> and um, like we stayed in a bed and breakfast and it was literally on top of a pub. So every night you hear the music start up and, you know, we were so tired from just running around all day and visiting everything, but we still, we lay down in bed, the music would start up. Okay, let's go. And we walk down and, you know, have a pint or a half and half. And um, yeah, it was, it, it stole my heart. I can't say that enough. Dingle is like old Ireland. It's, it's how it's the Ireland that we love and that, we used to remember growing up and our parents remembered and there's a handful of pubs in Dingle that are, are untouched. They, they, they have not been burdened by a lick of paint in 50 years and they are incredible places that when you go inside you realise this is nothing about the 
the quality of the chair or the bar counter. It's more the people and the characters and what's happening in there. Like you mentioned the hardware store, Foxy John's is the hardware. It's, it's both a hardware store and a pub. And you walk in the door and if you turn to your left, you get a pint of Guinness. And if you turn to your right, you can get a tire for your tractor or, or a length of rope. Uh, and, and if you walk straight through and go out the back, you can have a coffin made and you can be buried the same day. So it, it can all, everything can happen in this one place. Which is which is to us that's that's old Ireland and that's that's what we want people to see when they come to Ireland and there aren't many places left like like it especially so many of those places in the one town like Dingle. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, now Steve and I are both drinking what is become both sentimentally and due to the flavor one of my favorite Irish whiskeys and it's the uh, discontinued Dunville's VRPX Ten Year. So. Like you were saying earlier about when you picked out the bottles for your first in-person tasting for the fundraiser, you went by, you know, the label. And I will forever say that this Dunville's VR has one of the most beautiful labels of whiskey I've ever seen. I was lucky enough to stumble across a case of this in a store here for dirt cheap. So I bought a bottle. I tried it, loved it, went back, bought the rest. Um, it was right before it got discontinued. And then after posting about it on the internet, I had a distant cousin reach out and she let me know that my great grandfather that emigrated from, uh, the border between Donegal and County Tyrone, um, that this was actually the whiskey that he drank when he still lived there in 1906. Wow. So it's now become, you know, a sentimental as well as delicious whiskey and i have two bottles saved away and now that it's discontinued i don't think i'll ever open it i'm nursing this one that i poured steve a sample for and i've got right beside me um i know you did a episode on dunville's is there any one piece of information that stood out about dunville's you know um so Dunville's is a remarkable brand. You're dead right in the labels. I agree. Their entire range. They they work with a great a great design agency that produces some beautiful throwback labels uh, and uh, a wonderful balance between modern and old. And and the Dunville's brand has been resurrected by Ecklandville Distillery. And the Ecklandville Distillery is this another passion project by a. Uh, and it takes crazy people to do these things. So let's call him a lunatic. He's a lunatic to do this because it, he has to invest a lot of money and wait many, many years for his 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 uh, his his, ret- his uh, return on his investment. But the Eklundville, Eklundville Distillery has its own barley fields. It's got its own um, malt house. It's got um, it, it's a complete distillery operation in one place. While they're waiting for their own whiskey to mature, they have resurrected this old. Dunville's brand, a brand, a brand from Belfast, a famous brand from Belfast that closed down uh, in the early part of the 20th century. And um, I love the connection between old and new because what they've done is they've gone and looked at the old brand, which the Dunville's, the Dunville whiskey company back in the day was one of the biggest distilleries uh, shipping their whiskey all over the world. And then eventually due to um death and due to um, succession issues in the company um, there was no path for the distillery to forward and they just decided at the height of their of their um, of their run to close down distillery operations they were profitable but they just decided to close their doors and that was the end of Dunville's in Belfast and the brand lay dormant for many many years until Eckenville brought it back and so what they're doing here is they're saying 
we're going to choose and, and source the best whiskies that we can to honor that Dunville's legacy, while at the same time, know that we're going to come out with our own whiskies from Ecklenville too, which will be named something else. And Dunville's will always be this homage to a different time, a Belfast, celebrate Belfast's distilling history, uh, and then have this lovely bridge between the old and then the new distilling uh, operation and uh, approach that's happening on the on the farm in Ecklenville. So I, I think it's a fantastic brand. And I love everything that they come out with too. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I've been lucky enough to have obviously the 10-year PX and then I have the Three Crowns as well as the Three Crowns Peated that I've been able to source from across Canada as only the VR 10-year was available in Alberta. Hopefully we'll see more and when they do release it under the Ecklenville brand that will get uh, shipped out here as well. I'm curious to hear what you chose for your very first tasting because you were buying just on... On labels, do you remember exactly what you had in that tasting? Yeah, I think I remember a few of them. And I was, you know, I was living in Ohio. Ohio is, is what's called a controlled state in the United yeah. States, where the state is in charge of all of the purchasing. So it dictates what, what ends up on the shelf. So it's not like you had access to everything that's available in Ireland. But I remember there being a West Cork distillers bourbon cask. Mm-hmm. I remember there being Jameson Black Barrel. I remember Connemara was there. I remember I had a bottle of Powers Three Swallow. I had, what else did I have? If I think back. Oh, yes, I had a bottle of Paddy Irish whiskey as well. And then I think I had brought back from Ireland a a few weeks before a bottle of Middleton Very Rare uh, Barry Crockett Legacy. And so I I let the audience, there was only 10 people in my group that night. I let them all sample that as well. So we had a good old night chatting and we didn't know what we were drinking and they were looking to me, we shouldn't try. I was like the blind leading the blind. I had no information for them, but I just kept saying, isn't that a lovely label? Isn't that a lovely box? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just, all the bells and whistles you can to just get them to drink it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it. a, How do I bluff my way through this? That, if I bluff my way long enough, I might find out something and know something. Yeah, yeah, and learn something at the same time. Sometimes you, I find That's the tasting, even the tastings that, that, that I host... Uh, I, I learned from the people that are there, which is always fun as well. And it's, you got to, got to keep your, you got to keep, stay humble in those situations because you never know when you're going to learn anything or something new. That's right. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to transport ourselves into Ireland because, well, I've never been there myself. So I kind of want to get your, your opinion on like, where, where's your, where's your favorite place to visit, uh, town wise, area wise, uh, distillery, take us on a trip to Ireland that, that you would uh, that you would choose to do right now, and maybe where you'd start your tour. Well, the first thing to do is to is to determine how much time you're going to spend in Ireland. Um, whether you have a couple of days or a couple of weeks, probably dictate the the uh, the path you'll take and where I'd send you. But look, there's a few places that if you want to see what we would call Ireland, not what the guidebooks call Ireland or what Hollywood calls Ireland, but rather what we in Ireland are most proud of. There's a few places, Bo, look, we talked about Dingle in, in West Kerry. It's it's going to take you, it's a bit of a journey to get there. It'll take you 16 buses and three planes and a train and a mule, but you'll eventually get there. It's it's off the beaten path. But Dingle is worth the trip, um, not only for the distillery, but for the incredible scenery, the Blasket Islands, the beautiful uh, peninsula, the Dingle Peninsula that juts out there into the Atlantic Ocean. And then the pubs, you know, we mentioned a couple of those old hardware come bars that, that that exist but 
one of Ireland's most famous whiskey pubs is in the town called Dick Max Pub. And it's, it's, it's been voted a whiskey bar of the year in Ireland a few years. They've just released their own whiskey. You walk in the door there and from floor to ceiling, you'll get every whiskey that's been released in Ireland in the past 30 years on the shelf uh, that you can sample. So Dingle is an absolute treasure of a destination and one that you could spend three or four days there happily and, and not repeat a thing uh, and you'd have a good time. And then, of course, you have to go to Cork. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a proud Cork man, uh, Ireland's largest county, but home to some of the, the greatest whiskies in the world. The Middleton Distillery, of course, in Cork, you'd have to visit. And then Cork City itself, some wonderful, like, like little hole-in-the-wall pubs. And when the world opens up again, we'll all go and frequent pubs like, um, um, oh, God, there's so many. There's one called the, the High B, which is short for the Hibernian pub, which is an old man's living room in Cork that you go in and you'll have, you'll have, you'll have drinks in. Um, and uh, it's awesome. some Cork history. Pubs like the Shelburne Bar in Cork that have an, a, a whiskey menu that is about the same thickness as a Bible. And you'll go in, you'll sit down, and you'll spend an hour looking for a whiskey. And then they'll spend an hour looking for it on the shelf. <laughs> and eventually you'll sit down, you'll have a whiskey. And then, you know, Cork itself is a wonderful place. It's, it's, it's where most... Canadians and, and and Americans can trace their roots back to in the sense of that's where most immigrants left Ireland from. So if you have Irish heritage and if you go to you know Halifax and Nova Scotia and you hear people with their with their Irish accents, they came from Cork. They came out of Cork uh, on boats and ships and found their way straight across the Atlantic, almost uh, uh, at the same latitude and longitude as or same yeah the same equidistant uh, on the on the map there from from Ireland just a straight run across in the ship and. Cork is a was one time a very sad place as all these immigrants left, but now is a is a is a hustling, bustling city of, of tourism and and whiskey production and, and and industry. So I often steer people away from Dublin. I, I say, look, Dublin is like any other European capital city. There's some great tourist destinations like Guinness and the old Jameson Distillery, but it to me it's not real Ireland anymore. Real Ireland exists on the west coast and the south coast. So get out of the city, get down to the smaller towns uh, and um Park yourself in a small town like Dingle or or Middleton or Cove in County Cork as if you're a local. And uh, and don't plan too much because your plans should be fluid enough that you meet in the pub has an idea tomorrow of something you should all do together that you can say, let's do that. And then you'll have a lovely trip. I'm looking forward to make to, well, to making that trip happen one of these days. And it, like I've seen in the last five years, Sean, I'm sure you've seen it too, but the airlines and stuff, I guess COVID may probably affect that at some point, but they've, they've made it very, like the price is very attractive to, to travel to Ireland. It's not overly expensive and they're trying to make it like the Ireland tourism is really trying to make it a, a doable vacation and a destination for people to go to. And I know a lot of people, obviously being up North here, we love to travel down to Mexico because we need warmth, but uh, a lot of people are choosing Ireland over the kind of those more typical destinations, which is pretty exciting to see. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. yeah. It's, it's cheaper than ever to get there. And so, you know, I often, I'm often surprised when I talk to staunch Irish descendants and Irish Americans who claim such deep Irish ancestry. And I ask them, where, where do they visit in Ireland? They said, well, we've never been. And I said, well, what's stopping you? I said, it's five hours and it's probably 400 bucks. What's the, what's the problem? And uh, they said, well, one day, one day when we retire, I'm thinking, well, listen, we might never see retirement. You, you got to go next week. Yes. Amen to that for sure. We, we travel as much as we can as well. I can speak on behalf of my family because it's, I, I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait to see anything in my eyes. 
So it'll, a no, trip, a trip no to problem. Ireland and 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 beyond is is definitely going to be in the works for as soon as well as soon as travel restrictions obviously come up or come off for everybody. Yeah, I, when I won that trip, I won four thousand dollars in travel vouchers on St. Patrick's Day, and uh, yeah, it wasn't even a question where where we were going. We went to Scotland for five days and ten days in Ireland. And Barry, back to your point, like, yeah, we landed in Dublin and we left from Dublin, so we spent the front and tail end of our trip in Dublin. And when we got there, we couldn't get out fast enough. And when we were heading back for the last night. We tried to stay away as long as possible. Um, like you said, there is there is fun things to do there, but it's you know it's a city of a million people built on roads a hundred years ago, and it's so congested. Um, yeah, you can get to the shopping districts and you know the beautiful parks that they have, and we did that. But uh, yeah, my heart fell in the north and on the west coast for sure. Where it sounds like the true essence of of Ireland is. Yeah, exactly. And like we, when we were in Cork, we stayed in Kinsale and uh, we loved it. Like the the town itself, um, you know, there was just like a, a group of people just set up in this town square and started playing music as we were driving by and we couldn't park the car fast enough and run over to see what was going on. And that happened all over the place in Ireland. I hear that so much. Yeah. It's great to hear that that's your experience, you know, because that's the experience you want Americans and Canadians and tourists to have when they come in is that they'll see that. So that's great that you had that. Have you have you visited any of the the new up and coming distilleries before COVID hit? Is there like is there any that kind of kind of shine through t- to you as as distilleries to to watch out for? Yeah, you know, look, I, I live on the west coast of the United States and, and I don't get to Ireland as much as I as much as I want to. I just came back from six weeks there, but the whole country was shut down. Yeah. So we couldn't really leave our county, couldn't leave Cork. But pr- prior to, to all that happening, I had the chance to visit a handful of, of, of up and coming distilleries. And the one that stands out to me as being the most interesting to me is Waterford Distillery. And uh, Waterford Distillery is one of the newest to release their own whiskey. It's a relatively young whiskey, but they're they are approaching their whiskey production in a very different way. They are all about the grain, and oh, there's a bottle there. It's made it to Canada. Good yep. news. Yep. Uh, you you know the story of it, but it, it is a it is a truly remarkable operation in in so much as the entire distillery is focused on something that we don't hear enough about flavor, and we hear a lot about that might sound ridiculous. Isn't isn't it all about flavor? Well. Oftentimes it's about yield and it's about distillers and distilleries trying to figure out how do we make as much as we can. We have to get a return on our investment. This isn't a charity. Mm-hmm. But Waterford has looked at it in a different way and they've decided that rather than looking at three or four steps of whiskey production, they're going to analyze 150 steps of whiskey production and figure out how to slow them all down, how to optimize them and how to maximize them all, all these steps for flavor, 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 flavor. And, uh, and I'm really excited by what they're doing. And I'm really encouraged by an investment of that size into Irish whiskey so that we can showcase the best of Irish farming and agriculture and, and produce that uh, gives us this wonderful whiskey. Uh, but it, well, well, I've been talking to the folks at the Waterford over the past two weeks and months to learn more about it. And one of the amazing observations that they shared with me was that they brought a group of wine and whiskey sellers from Europe to Waterford to visit the distillery and to start the tour, they brought them to the farms where the barley was growing. 
And the whiskey merchants turned to the distiller and said, in all our years selling whiskey, we've never been brought to a barley farm to start the tour. And the whisk and the distiller said, well, if you went to a winery, would you do a winery tour without seeing the vines or the fields? And they said, no. And he said, well, why would it be different with whiskey? <laughs> and so it's those small little details where we think, you know, whiskey can become this industrial process of chrome and copper. And we forget that it's actually an agricultural story. And if we're ignoring that, are we not ignoring the best part of it all? So to me, Waterford Distillery is one of the most exciting distilleries uh, to come out of Ireland at the moment. Then they're doing an amazing job, kind of showcasing their because like a big a big part of their uh, a big part of their marketing is uh, going back to terroir and and focusing on where that barley is grown and how they have the codes on on the packaging so you can actually see the the journey of the whiskey that you're drinking and and they're they're really trying to they're really trying to push transparency into into the whiskey world and I am all about transparency I I absolutely love what Waterford's doing. And the two expressions that we got were the Banu Island and the, uh, the Balakilkabin. And they're both, they're, they're so interesting in the sense that they are, they taste like whiskeys from two different sides of the world. They're so different, honestly. Right. And that, yeah, I, I just, yeah, I really love what they're doing. I, I agree with you a hundred percent. Don't hey Sean. And you know, there's a lot of talk about their, their marketing and their approach. And um, you mentioned how, terroir is what they're marketing a lot and and i would almost push back to a degree in it by saying that their marketing isn't about terroir but rather talking about what they're doing that happens to be terroir and i think there's a lot of people are confusing out there and not not, not that you are steam but there are people out there that are assuming that all of this marketing that's coming out of order is hype you know and that it's taking away it's trying to distract from the quality of the whiskey whereas in fact it, nothing could be further from the truth in fact they're they, they, they just find that they have to talk about their approach to the ground and the grain and the and the barley because that happens to be the most important part of their production, which is uh it's really interesting to see how different they approach things than everybody else. Yeah, like their intention is not to not to put any smoke and mirrors out there. It's it's a genuine intention right. to talk to talk about that's right the whiskey and how it was created and and where it was created. So exactly yeah. So Barry, um, <clears throat> going on like. Obviously, Waterford came out this year with their first whiskeys, and we're so happy that we got some here. Um, what would be an underrated release that you've been able to try this year that most people either can't get or uh, wouldn't know much about due to, you know, small size, small marketing budget? There's a whiskey that was released in Ohio pretty much only in Ohio because it was a company created by a bar owner in Ohio and his Irish partner. And it's called Bua, B-U-A, Bua Irish Whiskey. And this is not, this is the opposite style of whiskey than you take a PX, a Dunville's PX 10-year-old. This is a four-year-old, straw-colored, light, fruity, crisp, almost like a crisp white wine would be what I'd, what I'd uh, uh, compare this to. And it's currently only available for sale in the state of Ohio with plans to go further afield. But it's a super affordable, quadruple casked um, whiskey that I was dubious about until I tasted it and was pleasantly surprised. It's not your, um, you won't be remortgaging the house to buy a bottle of this. And I think that's how a lot of whiskeys should be. So Bua was a great surprise to me. And um, I'm always wary of comparisons of whiskey because there are no two whiskies that have the same path to market that have the same 
production styles and you know one 12 year old whiskey will be miles apart from another 12 year old whiskey and that's okay and their prices might vary so i like to judge each whiskey on its own merits and what it stands for and what it's bringing to the table and for the reason I'd, I'd recommend bua because they do what they're doing very well with no airs and graces and uh it's a it's i think it's a local success story in ohio and it's an irish whiskey that's um that's that's met with great reception so that's that would be my pick i, I love that answer because there's 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 so many people that are afraid of 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 whiskey age less than than say 12 years the typical age uh stated whiskey that sits on the shelf but nowadays i i just love the fact that that brands and distilleries are are less concerned with age and more concerned as in, in releasing a whiskey when it's ready if it's ready to drink at four years old then release it and get it out and let, let's enjoy it so it's it, yeah. and it's cool because there's so much there's so many more and more releases coming out all the time whether it be from independent bottlers and now the distilleries themselves they're just they're letting the spirit basically speak for itself so if if, if it's four or five years then it's four or five years but they're gonna they're gonna release it and be proud of it you know one of the challenges that Irish whiskey faces is its is its pricing and and it's not cheap Irish whiskey isn't cheap and, and that's not down to the brand or the distillery necessarily ireland has very high taxation uh, on alcohol it's got the third highest uh, excise duty on, on spirits in the in the european union after finland and sweden and that presents challenges because it means that young whiskey which in in tennessee or kentucky we could pick up for 15 dollars yeah. now is a 70 or 80 dollar bottle when it comes to irish whiskey and so that is a challenge that I hope the Irish government can recognize and perhaps overcome in the future so that more smaller distilleries and boutique distilleries and brands can have a chance at competing and, and don't price themselves out of the market, uh, even if it's out of their control. Yeah, for sure. And that's, I think that's one of the problems that Waterford is having right now because they're having to price it at, well, here it's at the kind of the $100 mark for a less than four-year-old whiskey. And so that's, it's, people are using it as a, I don't know that they're knocking it because of that, but in the same breath, there's there's things contributing to that that you kind of have to have to understand, and yes, right, you you got to be willing to you got to be willing to kind of look past those kind of roadblocks and 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 research the whiskey and and, and buy into to the, to the brand versus what you see from the outside. Well, at least now there's more choice than there's ever been before. So yeah. I think whether you're spending. Twenty dollars in a bottle of whiskey, or you're spending twenty thousand on a bottle of whiskey. There is everything there between the twenty and the twenty thousand, or more, and that's that's a good thing. We didn't have that historically in Ireland. Growing up in Ireland, we had Paddy, Powers, Jameson, and Bushmills. Those were the four whiskeys that existed, uh, and outside of that, you'd have had to have been a millionaire to have a different type of whiskey. Now we have hundreds and hundreds of expressions, so choice is good, and uh, different options at different price points is a great great thing do you see the irish government changing changing any laws or, or taxation for for export so that uh so that they can i don't know so it can be more favorable like overseas and i don't think so no i, I think a large part of the decision making is down to public health and there are concerns that you know let's be honest there is a a stereotype of the irish uh, alcoholic and uh it may be not yeah. far from the truth for many, you know, I think every family in Ireland is touched somehow by, by uh, the dangers of drink. And so there is a, a concerted and, and, and perhaps much needed effort to curb alcohol uh, abuse. 
Uh, and so it's a very fine line and a delicate uh, a del- delicate line um, yeah. for um, tightrope for the government to, 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 to traverse there. So I think they'll run into challenges there. They're also There's also a huge tax take every year on the sale of alcohol. And, you know, the likes of Jameson, one of the top 10 selling spirits in the world, returns a significant amount to the exchequer. So I wouldn't be holding my breath on any changes on excise duty, but hopefully as these distilleries and brands find new ways to market economies of scale, they'll be able to bring down costs as well. So um, fingers crossed. All we can do is keep drinking the whiskey and let and them worry about the rest of it. Yeah, exactly. Keep, yeah. keep supporting Fair them and, and watch it get better, hopefully. So Barry, uh, one thing I wanted to touch on is one of the most fascinating episodes of stories sips that I found was right around when the, the chosen was released. And I believe it was the morning after the release party and you did an episode on it. And now just in the past week, another Irish whiskey was released. That's 10,000 euros for a bottle. And it's the first release from that company. Um, again, it, it, it speaks to where Irish whiskey is going, that you're able to release these high-end, super luxury products. What, what is there anything you want to speak on with that? Like, obviously, the two of us will never be able to afford that unless, you know, something fantastical like the lottery happens. <laughs> but, um, it like, just the fact that there is Irish whiskey coming out at that super luxury price point, and then, like you said, a $20 bottle on the shelf as well, um is it is do you see that becoming more frequent with the way that the irish whiskey uh industry has grown in the past five years i don't drive a hundred thousand dollar car but i have no problem with people owning a hundred thousand dollar cars or that they exist and i think it should be exactly the same with everything in life not all of it is for us and nor should it be and there's a lot of begrudgery complaining amongst people who want to have every whiskey that complaining that they can't afford it as if it's the fault of the distillery or the brand that they can't afford it. Mm. Look, you you travel, as you travel through airports and you look at the shelves of duty-free and you look up to the top shelf of every duty-free store in the world and the whiskey shelf is full of what? Scotch. Scotch. Why is Irish whiskey not up there? Why is Irish whiskey not thought of as the super premium product? The Scots have a remarkable job of marketing themselves as a super premium product in the aged single malt category and even in the blended category. So the fact that Irish whiskey is finally coming out, look, when I did that video with um, with The Chosen, that was at the time the most expensive Irish whiskey ever released. Six, I think it was 6,500 pounds or 6,500 euros. And now we have whiskeys that are 45,000 uh, euros, $45,000 uh, from coming out of Middleton Distillery, and there are more to come. This is a fantastic thing for the world of Irish whiskey, because what happens is when you get up to that price point, those who have the funds to spend indiscriminately on things as easily as you and I will spend on a $20 bottle of whiskey, what will happen is they'll start to raise the profile of Irish whiskey amongst their friends and their colleagues, and, mm-hmm. and it'll become an aspirational thing and the halo effect of a $40,000 bottle of whiskey being consumed and us seeing an empty bottle in a picture sometime shows that there's quality and it's being enjoyed at the highest possible level. And I want to see more super premium products coming out. I don't want to see them coming out at the expense or to the elimination of anything else, 
But if we're not filling that category at the top shelf and trying to push Scotch off, uh, Scotch whiskey off the top shelf, then I'd argue that Irish whiskey isn't doing its job. So the more, the merrier. Bring them on. Perfect. That's that's exactly what I was going for. That's kind of the sentiment I got from that video as well. And uh, I can't agree more. I mean, JJ Corey, we just finished speaking with Louise, and she had the hand in uh, the the liquid that went inside the the chosen and with the bottling company and the packaging. I mean, it was, like you said, it was an aspirational bottle. If I could have got my hands on it some way, I would have. Unfortunately, I don't have the the means to do it, but it doesn't mean I can't dream. Yeah, wouldn't it be an awful boring place if we had if if we had nothing to aspire to or dream about or or, or covet? You know, we we want to be envious. Uh, it's we want to they want we want something to work towards. Um, how often are we hearing about trust fund kids who are ending up in the ER being pumped out of with drugs in their stomach because they they lived, they they had nothing to work for? They had all the money in the world, so what was there to work for? <laughs> That's a crazy analogy, but at the same time, it's if we had everything it wouldn't be very exciting and we'd be looking for more things to, to, to excite us. I love that I can't afford everything because it means I'm going to work harder until I can. Sometimes I, I find myself dreaming of ways I can make more money just so I can afford to, uh, <laughs> afford to buy everything that I want to buy. Obviously that, that's what we're all doing, but it's, it, it's impossible. Even, even for the wealthiest of, of whiskey drinkers, it's almost impossible to keep up with everything new coming out. So you just kind of got to be content, content in your spot and and drink what you can and have fun with it. Nobody told us we have to keep up. Uh, somehow no. somebody got the idea that we must. And then people start trying to collect everything that's released from a certain distillery. And then they get upset and they can't afford something. There's no rule. You know, it's uh, and it's not like Waterford Distillery is a great example. I think they've had 30 releases or more. Uh, or uh, and I think they've got 70 coming next year. And I, I see people complaining about this choice. Imagine. The, the goal of a distillery releasing more options for us, the cheek. <laughs> yeah. and, and yet that's seen as a bad thing. All I would say is 20 years ago, we'd have struggled to see a distillery release 20 things in a year, let alone 70. Um, so if I hear anybody complaining about too much choice, um, they'll be muted and booted uh, <laughs> as fast as they can be. <laughs> I'm with you there for sure. <laughs> the other thing that we didn't really mention is that you have the Irish whiskey fans of america facebook group which i am a part of and uh one thing i love about it is you have six thousand members and you're as active in that group as anybody else which to me i love because you know we can somebody can throw up a, a question and you know you'll get five or six answers from random people in the group and then somebody will just tag you in it and within you know a few hours usually you're in there and you're giving all the information and insight. And it's just, it's nice to see that you, you, it's your group, but it's, you're a part of the group. There's no egos, no egos involved, which is what I really noticed. Honestly, looking at, looking at everything that you do, Barry, there is, I, I, yeah, I just fell in love because there's literally, there's no ego involved in any of it. And that's like the, the pretentiousness and, and ego that lives in the, in the whiskey world is is one of the most frustrating things to me because it is it is a spirit built to engage a community and but there are some people that kind of forget about that yeah it's the passion the passion mixed with the you know not being pretentious not being 
holier than thou about anything involved in it. It, it's a wonderful community and it's it's taken time to foster it and to set the tone and to to help people understand what it is and what it isn't and i think we're all part of online communities that can turn into uh, everything from political rages to uh, meme filled communities to uh, advertising boards to spam and i'm not interested in that and i've spent a lot of time as you've as you've seen trying to create a community a foster community that is about mutual respect it's about education it's about fun and i've set some pretty firm rules that there's no selling there's no memes there's no disrespecting anybody else and there's no criticizing anybody else for what they're drinking if you come with a a ten dollar bottle of whiskey you're going to be as welcome as as if you come with a ten thousand dollar bottle of whiskey and whether you drink it out of a crystal decanter or a flower pot it doesn't matter uh, this is a community of people who we're all the same. We all want to be, we're, we're just hanging out with people who we think share our interests and make this little journey on life a little bit easier. So it is a community and uh, it'll always be a community first. And, um, you know, we've been lucky enough to to do some interesting things with that group in the community, like releasing our own whiskey for the community. And now we're about to release our own glassware. And, but that's all community driven. I'm not in there saying, hey, I've got a thing to sell. I've gotten in there and I've said, should we do this thing together? Yeah. And if so, let's do it together. Yeah. If you're not interested, we won't do it. And that's it. And I think that works for everybody. It's the kind of community I want to be part of. So um, I'm really selfishly building it for me. And uh, if everybody else is happy being there too, then that's amazing as well. Yeah, for sure. And I, I really, really love that. And especially in a day and age right now where we're, there's obviously a lot going on in this world, being COVID and political masses and stuff like that. My favorite part about the whiskey community and, and, and its social platforms is that I can I can go on there to unplug because people are just there talking about what they're passionate about and talking about whiskey. And usually the the kind of the political nonsense and and uh, pandemics of the world aren't aren't dragged into those conversations at all. So it, it's refreshing, it's decompressing, and I, I always come out with a smile because it's something I'm very passionate about. So Barry, uh, obviously COVID stop it from the anywhere in the near future, but uh, are you gonna expand wings and fly north through the ever never ending winter once you're allowed to? <laughs> I I thought the swallows flew south to get a bit of warm. Do you want me to fly north? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So well, hey, they fly they up. fly back north eventually for the one month of summer that we get. <laughs> yeah if, if you plan it just right you might get here when we have you know a warm week in the middle of july or august oh it was awesome it's, it's the last like S- summer happens on a tuesday right <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. exactly we've been we've been totally blessed the first month or so of of winter it's been it's been above zero and sitting at well between t- kind of five and ten degrees celsius but then uh obviously we always know that we're going to get bit afterwards so it quickly went down to, I think it was minus 27 last night, <laughs> all two days later, two days removed from the nice weather. So we, we always know we're going to get it eventually. <laughs> That's whiskey drinking country. It's not whiskey making country, but it's whiskey drinking country. Oh, yeah, it is. The cast, the cast strength is king out here this time of year because the warmer, the better. <laughs> uh, I'd like you to kind of hit on three three favorite new releases this year. I know you already hit on the Waterford, so I'm sure they're going to make that list, but... Can you think of a few others from from even the big distilleries, smaller, uh, something that people should definitely yeah. keep their eyes out for? Well, 
you know, you have the, the oldest single malt distillery in the world, which is Bushmills in Northern Ireland uh, on the, the Antrim coast, is a uh, has been uh, plugging away, making whiskey there for hundreds of years and uh, without great fanfare and uh, without great aplomb. And this year they have uh, changed all of that with the release of um, what's called their, their Causeway, Causeway series of, uh, of releases, Causeway Coast. And they are releasing incredible limited edition single malts anywhere from and nine or 10 years old, all the way up to 30 years old. And some of those are finding their ways to different markets, like some are finding their ways to Australia, United States, UK, Canada. And um, I would, I am a, I have fallen in love with single malts through Bushmills. Like Bushmills 21 year old would have been my favorite single malt. Uh, I think that may have been replaced now by their 28 year old that I have fallen in love with, but the 21 is incredible. <laughs> um, so Bushmills is one that I'm increasingly interested in. Um, I have tried to snap up everything that they've released in the past uh, three or four months and all for drinking. Like I don't want to store them. I don't want them gathering dust. I want their their corks popped and I want to enjoy them because that's what they were made for. So I'm, uh, Bushmills is way up there uh, as being one that I think is 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 coming back. It's coming back and uh, they're, they're investing in expansion and they have been for the longest time distilling the finest single malt in Ireland. They were the only single malt distillery in Ireland for many, many years. And they've been laying down some incredible stock in incredible casks. And the people who work in Bushmills have worked there for most of their adult lives, which is fantastic to see. People who put in 30, 40 years of their lives in the same place. So it's in good hands, good casks, good whiskey. It's a great recipe for uh, for an enjoyable sip, though. Bushmills is, is right up there. The one thing I can add to Bushmills, that, that Bushmills 21 it like in my eyes and, and something that I've, I've said lots is it's probably the best value 21 year across all whiskey genres that you can buy. Honestly, like up, up here, you can get it for less than 150 bucks in some stores. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. That's it's insane. incredible. And it's, it is such, it is such a crisp and amazing pour for 150 bucks. It flattens a lot of the whiskeys in that, in that same value range. No joke, no joke. Um, and I, I remember the first time I sipped on Bushmills Twenty One, and I was in a bar in Portland, Oregon, and this was not long ago. Um, this was probably two years ago, and I, had, I hadn't tried it before. And I remember ordering it because it was there, and, and it was expensive. It was like fifty dollars a measure. But I thought, you know what, oh. you don't often see it, and it's cheaper than buying a full bottle if I don't like it. And, anyway, we, myself, and my wife, both got a measure of it, <laughs> feeling like it was a good night out for us. We thought, well, let's go for it. And I remember we both took a sip of it and looking at each other saying, what is that? <laughs> it was this wonderful fruit explosion in the glass that I just thought, have I been missing out on single malts because I've been focused on pot still whiskies and the red breasts of the world? Have I ignored the beauties coming out of Bushmills? And the answer was yes. I had been ignoring them <laughs> to my detriment. So now I'm playing catch up and I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'll be eating beans and toast for years because of my uh, purchase of bush pills. But look, we'll be happy. Well, it's similar to the American kind of whiskey landscape. There's so many different genres of whiskey living inside Ireland that you like, like you said, you'd be silly just to, to narrow yourself at only, only drinking the pot stills or only drinking the single malts or, or whatever. Right. hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, no, I'm a big single malt fan now. I've had people message me saying, I thought you were a pot still man. And I said, no, I'm, I'm a whiskey man. 
I'm a whiskey uh, man. <laughs> single malt comes under that banner. <laughs> so that right there is right there, uh, Sean. yeah. So Sean recently found, and it's funny a because this bowl. yeah this this bush we had a, there was a Bushmills released in Canada. It was a single cast Sherry Hogshead uh, released the cast strength, and it didn't hit any of the main whiskey stores in this country for some odd unknown reason and randomly which sean will let you finish your own story but um so yeah just you know one of our favorite things to do is drive around you know inside the big city out into the country the little towns and just visit their you know mom pop liquor stores and there's always dusty bottles sitting there so these ones there was two casks released 1989 distillation um, one of them, rumor is 15 years, and the other one is 17 years, but they're both 53-ish percent, and they are one of the best sherried single malts in the world, in my opinion, period, that I will put it up against any Scotch sherry monster that people bring, and this bottle, actually, I'm a huge LA Dodgers fan, and the storied losing history of my whole entire life, except for when I was too young to remember. And when they won the World Series this year, I popped this bottle and it blew my mind more than the Dodgers winning the World Series. And of course, I had a couple grams out of it, but I couldn't share it fast enough. So um, I was lucky enough to find that one. And then I found two more, again, sitting on the bottom shelf in some store that, you know, had outrageous prices on everything else and i talked them down to you know 30 dollars off each bottle that i bought so they had no idea what Amazing. they were sitting on just a random small stores yeah it was very interesting how you came upon yeah. those that, that's where you find them i mean look the i mean the bourbon world is full of people the dusty the dusty hunters yeah. the dusty bottle hunters who are going out there looking for the rare bourbons and finding them in in, in rare places but in the United States and Canada, there aren't as many people out there doing the same for Irish whiskey. And it does mean that there are some pickings to be had. And I've, I've found some, some, some finds myself as well. So it's, yeah, I would say if you're an Irish whiskey fan in America, every town you go to find the, uh, the smallest dingiest liquor store that you can. And, uh, and, and they probably won't have all their Irish whiskey in one place. It'll be, one will be on the lower shelf. Another will be, six shelves over and it'll be on the top shelf. But if you look there, spend a bit of time there, you might find some real gems. Well, the beauty about it being in the U S and in most States, they, they sell liquor everywhere. So like I found the most odd things at, at a, like a, a highway truck stop gas station where I'll, I'll pull something rare off the shelf and just, uh, no joke. I want to bang my head off yeah. the wall. understanding why up here in Canada, you can't sell a liquor in anything, but a it's liquor store. So, yeah. It's yeah so it's, it, yeah. It's always super bizarre to me driving around and through the Midwest because that's usually where I go. I go home to because my wife's from there. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I just find it hilarious. Yeah, it is wild. You never know what you'll find. I, found a, I got a bottle of Redbreast 27 year old in the deli in California a week before it was released in Ireland. What? And uh, like it's, uh, they're making sandwiches and then they had a stack of a box that had Redbreast 27. And I thought, I'll have a sandwich there and uh, I'll also have a bottle of Red Breast for 27, please. Thanks very much. <laughs> that, that's incredible. <laughs> I've never tried that 27. Is it, is it as good as the hype suggests? Look, if, if there's a, if there's a two in front of the number of a Red Breast, you're not going to go far wrong. No. I can assure you that whether it's 21, 27, 
28, 30. Um, yeah, it's 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 a work of art. It's it's oh, it's a fruit explosion. Dark, dark fruits, candied yeah. fruits, port, peach, plum. It's it's the gift that keeps on giving, really. Yeah, we put the we put the red breast uh, twenty one year in our last club tasting, right? Right, kind of like up here. The the rules kind of the COVID rules kind of relaxed for a couple months, so we decided to get get some people together for a tasting, and and the red breast twenty one went up against uh, the Ben React 21 and it was a pretty much a consensus hands up, but because just that red breast 21 is so, so good in my eyes. And again, another, like you can get that for under $200 up here. Like it is such a great value bottle to buy. Yeah. That's incredible value. You can't get it for that price in Ireland or, or in the United States. Like for some reason, red breast 21 is more expensive in the United States than in Ireland, whereas it's normally the reverse of that. Normally, all the whiskeys are cheaper in America than in Ireland. For some reason, Red 21 uh, bucks that trend, and it's regularly 250 to 350 in, in America. Wow. Crazy, yeah. Then so it, because it'd be equivalent to about 150 American from uh, if you do the exchange. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So at the end of the podcast here, we love to, we love to do kind of a parting glass moment, Barry. Uh, so I'm kind of just I'm reaching out to you to see if you've got anything that you kind of want to leave leave out on the table for for our listeners before we wrap up here. I would say that if you're whether you're in Canada or the United States or wherever you're listening, I I'd invite you to join me in the Irish Whiskey Fans of America Facebook group. We have people from all over the world in there. Obviously, it's mostly Americans, but it's a fantastic community and it's where we're going to be doing a lot of really interesting things over the coming months and year. We just got to release our very own whiskey to the group in there, which sold out in under four hours, called The Story. And uh, we'll have more coming. We're already planning our second whiskey, uh, which will be launched exclusively to that group. So if you want to get really exclusive whiskeys at ridiculously affordable prices and access to other things, um, there's a community in there. So that's all I would say is uh, I invite you to join us in there and let's let's educate each other on, the, uh, on, on Irish whiskey wherever we are in the world. Well, and to, to add to that, like uh, you, Stories and Sips can be found on, on Facebook and YouTube and your website, which is just storyandsips.com. And it's it's truly it, it's truly a wonderful experience. And if, if you want to unlock the, the Irish whiskey world for yourself, then I, I definitely recommend it, giving it a check out for sure. Yeah, I would agree. And uh, Barry, again, I want to thank you for coming on. Um, you know, I found found you through YouTube, and from there I followed you on Instagram and Facebook as well. And everything that you have done for Irish whiskey, as a huge Irish whiskey fan myself, I just want to say thank you and keep doing what you're doing. And um, I've learned more about Irish whiskey from you and your groups and your pages than probably anywhere else. So I I can't say my appreciation enough. And we really appreciate you coming on and talking to us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, I'm really honored to be part of it. Thanks thanks for considering me and for helping me uh, share the the gospel of Irish whiskey. And if uh, yeah, if I can ever be of help to any of you, just just let me know. Thanks for thanks again for having me. And when uh, COVID ends, oh, I'll make sure some of this Canada exclusive Bushnell is waiting for you up here. Well, we'll we'll, we'll drink it in person. Perfect. That sounds good to me. Cheers. Cheers to you, Barry, and thank you very much. And uh, good luck, good luck on your future endeavors and endeavors, and and uh, have try and enjoy your your holiday season amongst the restrictions. Likewise, likewise, Slanja. Thanks for having me. Yes, cheers, my thank friend. Thank you.